I read just last night that millennials, about a third of them, say that they are lonely, which is amazing when we consider all of the ways that we now connect socially, and especially millennials. And their number was far greater of lonely ones than similar than generations of the baby boomers or Generation X. And hasn't it true that, uh, in a sense, Facebook has made friendships more complicated? Uh, if you're on Facebook, I'm not that much. Sarah is the Facebook queen, and I'm glad she is, <laughs> especially for the church, because if you have seen the Olive Branch Facebook page, it's done well, it's done excellently, it keeps you updated on what's happening at the church. It's filled with pictures and videos and information, so it is great. She knows how to do it. I, on the other hand, don't, and it has been hard for me to get used to Facebook, so I have a Facebook page, and I do look at it, but if you've noticed, I don't think I've ever posted anything on it, and so uh, if something gets posted on my Facebook page, Sarah posts it for me, okay, so that's uh, how that works, but you get a friend request. Are you supposed to, uh, to confirm it? or not, uh, you know, do you want to be friends with this person? If you're a Facebook friend, does that mean that you're really a friend? And, and then, of course, when you get uh, unfriended, uh, or how do you do when you, how are you supposed to like, what are you supposed to not, what are you supposed to use emojis for, what are you supposed to respond to? It gets complicated, doesn't it? What, what happened to friendship being a conversation, uh, sharing a, a cup of coffee together? Now, friendship, even though we have more ways to connect digitally, in lots of ways, is more complicated. But in truth, friendships has always been complicated because people are complicated. And living life is complicated. Sharing life, being a friend, finding a friend is all very complicated. But thankfully, we have the book of Proverbs to help us understand how to be a good friend. Now, when we think about friendship, when we think about friendship in the world, it's often self-centered. Wouldn't you love to have a friend that would always be inviting you out to dinner? You know, hey, and, and they're paying, of course. So, hey, let's go out to lunch, let's go out to dinner, yeah. You know, when you get a phone call from that friend, you'd answer it immediately, right? It wouldn't be going to voicemail or anything. You'd get that phone call, yeah, Oh, good, yes, let's go out. Let's go out to eat. Let's, oh, you're paying. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Isn't it true that if you're able to get something out of a relationship, you're most more likely to be a friend to that person, whether it's uh, free meals or whether they have a, a boat on the lake or whether they have maybe a pool in the backyard, maybe they have some tickets to your favorite sports team. You know, those are the kind of friends that you want to have. And, and really in our world, that's how a lot of friendships are developed. What can I get out of it? If there's a relationship I can get something out of, then I'm in. If it's a relationship where I'm not getting something, then I'm not in. And it doesn't have to be things. Uh, sometimes it can just be that you have someone in your life that all you want to do is share all your problems with them. And, and you want to unload on them and you want to talk to them, but you're not really willing to listen to them or to help them. Now, listen to me carefully. I'm not, friendship is for that. Friendship is to have a person that you can talk to, that you can share even secrets, that you can share struggles. That's what friendships are for. But sometimes, so many people are only looking to find people in their lives so that they themselves get something out of it. And they really have no desire to invest in someone's life, to build someone up, to be a friend to them, to give them anything. And the book of Proverbs warns us about that. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth attracts 
many friends, but a poor person is separated from his friend. Isn't that true? If you had lots of money and you started to hand it out and dole it out and buy things for people and take people places, you would have hundreds of friends. You'd have thousands of friends. The only limitation on the number of friends you would have is how much money you had. But when the money was gone, all those friends would be gone too. They'd be waving bye-bye. Isn't that what happened to uh, the man in the parable of the prodigal son? That son, when he had the inheritance and he had the money, he was drinking it up and having a great time with all his friends. When the money ran out, the only friend he had was a pig. And that's what happens. And friendships ordered by the world. Proverbs 19.6 says, Many seek a ruler's favor, and everyone is a friend of one who gives gifts. That's true. So that's how the world is. In fact, Proverbs 18.24 says, One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. See, really we shouldn't focus on the number of friends we have because the number of friends could change very easily based on how much money we have and how many people we bless with gifts. If we have one true friend who sticks with us, that friend is even better than a brother or a sister, a blood relative, because that friend is true and loyal. So Proverbs warns us, don't be flattered if you have lots of friends. They may be only in it for what you give them. It warns us that if you have lots of friends because you're giving lots of stuff, they may leave you once you stop giving. But also it is a reminder to us to not be that type of friend that's only in it for what we can get. And so think about your relationships. Are you in them just for what you get. Now, let's be honest. There's, I'm not saying that every relationship has to be a 50-50 relationship. You can have a relationship where you're giving most of the time, most of the, the money in it maybe, most of the advice, the encouragement. That's okay. You might be a mentor to someone. You may be uh, the help to someone who's in great need. Or you may be on the receiving end. There may be a person in your life that you go to because you need their advice. You need their help. You're not giving them a lot, but you're receiving a lot. That's okay. And there's relationships where it's about 50-50. So we have all kinds of different relationships. I'm not saying they all have to be the same, but what I'm saying is what is your attitude in them? Are you looking out for yourself and that's the only reason that you are in relationships, making friends? Or do you ever take a moment and think about others and how you can help them and give to them and bless them and encourage them? That's what Proverbs tells us to do. Proverbs also warns us to be careful when we choose friends. Look at this picture here. Now, isn't it cute? It also isn't it interesting. I mean, obviously, this was done on purpose by Caesar's Dog Food Company. Uh, you know, they made, they chose the dogs, they chose the people, they, they did the hair, they did the makeup. But isn't it funny to look at how closely a person can look like a dog? And don't we often joke that pet owners and their pets often look the same? I mean, that's where this came from. 
And isn't it true that, that sometimes even spouses act the same and say the same things? They kind of finish the, each other's sentences. Now, why is that? It's because pet owners and pets spend time together. Husbands and wives spend time together. Friends spend time together. And you will, it's true, it's a reality of life. You will become like the friends that are closest to you. It's inevitable. Whoever is closest to you, you'll start to think the same way, maybe even act the same way. You'll start to have the same values. And so that's why Proverbs warns us, be careful who you choose to have close to you. Don't make friends with an angry person. And don't be a companion with a hot-tempered one, or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. It's always the case. Sometimes we think that if you have a good person and a group of a bunch of bad people, that good person is going to influence them all. It can happen, but it doesn't usually happen. It's usually the other way around. And so Proverbs warns us to avoid these types of friends. Foolish friends, gossips, drunkards and gluttons, evil, violent, and adulterers. Because if these are your closest friends, well, you really know how to pick them, I'd say that, okay? But if these were your closest friends, that's who you're going to be. And we're not called to be foolish, gossip, drunkards, evil, violent, adulterers. So don't choose them to be your closest friends. You will become like them. But I can understand someone saying, well, isn't that who Jesus hung out with? And aren't we, as Christians, called to reach people like this? Tell them about Jesus? How are you going to tell them about Jesus if you're not around them, if you're not talking to them, if you're not friends with them? So that is true. And so we go to the New Testament. Paul gives us a great balance between reaching out to someone and being close friends with them. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Don't become partners with those who do not believe. If you're familiar with the King James Version, it says, Do not be unequally yoked. And so the picture can be humorous, but also very telling. If you could imagine uh, two animals yoked together to plow a field, and you've got a little kitty cat, and you've got a big ox, that's not going to work. <laughs> so that's what Paul is saying. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Paul says you are a Christian, you are a believer, you are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, so you are set apart, you are holy, you are righteous, you have God himself living in you. We are the temple of the living God. How can you partner with the foolish and the drunkards and the gluttons and the evil and the wicked and the adulterers? What do you have in common? There shouldn't be anything in common. That's part of our problem as Christians today. We have too much in common with unbelievers. And sometimes they look at our life and they say, well, I don't need church. I don't need Christianity. I don't need what they have. My life's just like theirs. In fact, I have a little bit more fun. So what do I need their life for? Our life should look different than an unbeliever's life. And it should look different than righteousness and, and holiness and loving and, and kindness and the fruit of the Spirit. That's how it should look different. 
And so Paul says, don't partner with them. You don't have anything in common. But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. Now, isn't that true? If we aren't supposed to associate with sinners, where are we going to go? That's all that's here. We'd have to go to the moon, go to Mars. But did you notice the different words? Partner versus associate. And there's a big difference between those two words. In fact, what Paul is saying here, he's not speaking about unbelievers here. He's speaking about Christians. He's saying don't associate with Christians who are greedy, swindlers, idolaters. It's a form of church discipline. Paul is telling the Christians who are following Christ not to associate with the Christians who say they're following Christ, but they're not. Don't associate with them. Let them reap the fruit of their sin, and maybe they will suffer. Maybe they'll come back to reality and come back to the Lord and come back to the fellowship of believers. But the point is the difference between partnership and, and associating. And what my rule of thumb is this, is that my closest friends are always Christians. Because the reality is whoever's closest to me, I'm going to be like them. So they must be Christians. We have to share the same faith and share the same values and, and share the hope we have in Christ. But... I'm also called to be in the world because I live in this world and it's full of sinners and I need to tell sinners about Jesus. So I have friends and associate with people who aren't believers. But I don't share their values. I don't go to the bars with them. I don't hang out in places I shouldn't with them. And Jesus didn't either. We often talk about how Jesus was the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And he was, and he was criticized for that. But he didn't meet the tax collectors and the sinners in the bars. He didn't meet them in the red light district. He didn't meet them in the places where they were sinning. He met them in their homes, in the public places where they would come to him. We all have that in common. We all have homes. He'd have meals with them. We all eat meals. That was their commonality. The places where we do have things in common with unbelievers. We, ha we have ball teams in common, and we have the weather in common. We have homes, and we have families in common. We have meals in common. Those things we have in common. We share those things, and we talk about those things. In the midst of that friendship is where we share the love of Christ with them, not in the gossiping and the evil in the idolatry, in the adultery, in the drunkenness, in the gluttony, not in those things, but in the things we do have in common. And so I do ask you this. For Christians, there's two ways that are the opposite that both get us in trouble. <clears throat> One is having too close of friends that are unbelievers because we become like them. The other problem is not having any friends who are unbelievers, because that's not obeying Christ's command to make disciples. So where are you? For us here in Mecklenburg County, I'm thankful we have so many Christians who live here. And so it may be hard for you to find someone who's not a Christian, but I would also say this, as many as claim to be a Christian, I certainly see most of them when I was 
off on vacation for a couple weeks on Sunday morning, there were a lot of cars driving through town. <laughs> a lot of cars out. They weren't in church. So there may be a lot of people who claim to be Christians. And beyond that, there's lots of people in this county who don't claim to be Christians. Are, are we friends to them? Do we know them? Are we sharing life with them and sharing Jesus with them? As I said, the opposite problem is, is living a life that looks just like an unbeliever, doing the same things in the same places with them because we're friends with them and we have become just like them. And Paul says, what partnership do you have with them? That's not who you are. But Proverbs also tells us about friendship and how it's supposed to be done. Don't these two little boys look like they're great friends? How can we be a friend like that? Truthful words. Proverbs 27, 6. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. In other words, a friend will tell you like it is, but they will do so in a way that's loving. I mean, it's going to hurt. It says a wound. The truth hurts sometimes. But a real friend will tell you the truth. A real friend will tell you when you're walking away from the Lord. A real friend will tell you when you've got food in your teeth. <laughs> okay? a, a real friend will tell you that hairstyle is not you. I don't know who said that that's what you should be doing, but you get rid of that, you go back to what you had. No, a true friend, a real friend is going to be truthful with you. What's so great about a truthful fr friend is that they also love you at the same time. They know who you are. They tell you the truth. But they love you in spite of your bad hair and the food in your teeth and even when you're walking away from the Lord. Oil and incense bring joy to the heart and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. We don't know ourselves at times the way we think we do. We so easily deceive ourselves. And if we leave it up to ourselves to evaluate our walk with God and our Christian life, and the decisions in our life, if we leave it all up to ourselves, we often make a big mess of it. A good friend is there to tell us the truth. A good friend also is loyal. One with many friends may be harmed. We've already seen this verse, but think about it this way. There is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Some friendships are so good and close that that friend is loyal with you no matter what. A good friend is there to encourage, and you encourage them. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17 says, A good friend loves. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a difficult time. As I said earlier, a good friend loves even when they see who you are and know who you are. And especially in times of adversity and trouble, a good friend is going to be there to love and to help and to support. A good friend forgives. The one who forgives an offense seeks love, but whoever repeats a matter separates friends. The idea of this proverb is you're talking to your friend and your friend maybe shares a secret. Your friend shares uh, a sin that they've confessed. They're, they're sharing a tragedy that they want to be confidential, and now you've got it. You might say you've got some dirt on your friend. If you're a true friend, you're going to forgive them. Another way to, to translate this is the one who covers over an offense. You're going to hear it, 
but it's not going to change your friendship. And you're going to kind of forget about it, and you're certainly not going to go telling others what you know, which certainly then separates friends. Are you a godly friend, one who's forgiving, one who's loyal, one who loves, one who's encouraging, one who is there closer than a brother or sister? You know who is a friend to us? Jesus is a friend. I think people in the first service know this hymn. I don't know. There's probably a lot of you that know the hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. I guess I could sing it for you, but I'm not going to. So you want to know what it is. But what a friend we have in Jesus. What kind of friend is Jesus? Again, is he our, our buddy that we watch football with and drink beer with? Is that the kind of friend that Jesus is? Is he, is he a friend to us in the sense that uh, if we need something, he's there to do it for us? You know, hey, Jesus, I need some help. I'm praying. Help me out. The Bible tells us specifically, in fact, Jesus tells us specifically how he is a friend to us and how we are a friend to him. John 15, Jesus says this, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from the Father. Jesus is our friend primarily in these two ways. He laid down his life for us. He died for us. And he has not kept any secrets from us. Isn't that true of genuine friendship? If I asked you to write down a list of names of people you would die for, most people have a very short list. Spouse, children, that might be it. It might be a close friend, maybe another family member. None of us would have on that list a stranger that lives in California. Maybe you wouldn't have strangers. You certainly wouldn't have some of those people you don't like in your life on the list. You know, Paul makes a point that Jesus died for us when we were his enemies. So Jesus died for everybody, even those that hated him. And Paul's point is no one does that. Jesus did that. But the point Jesus makes here is that close friends would give their life for each other. So Jesus is saying, because I have given my life, I'm going to die for you. You are my friend. And then he says, I've shared with you everything the Father shared with me. I've told you who I am. I've told you what I'm doing. He had even told the disciples, and he's told us even more about the future, when he's coming back, what it's going to be like, what our eternity is. He's, he's told it to us. There's no secrets. He hasn't hidden it. I, I find it interesting, even the book of Revelation, 
We think of it, oh my goodness, it's so confusing. It, it, it's got symbols in it. It's hard to understand. The word revelation means unveiling. God's intent with the book is to say, this is what's going to happen. I'm letting the truth out. I'm not hiding anything. That's how it is with friends. Friends don't hide things. They don't have secrets. They let everything known. So Jesus says, I'm your friend. I died for you. I've told you everything. We are his friend by obeying him and then loving as he loves, loving one another. Often we think about obeying. That doesn't sound very friend-like, does it? <laughs> if you were my friend and I said, you know what, friend, you have to obey me. Well, gosh, that doesn't sound like a friend. That sounds more like a tyrant or a dictator or a king. But you see, Jesus is a friend in a way that's different from how we are friends because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And so, yes, he died for us and he's made things known to us. But still, we are called to obey him. And that's how we are a friend to Jesus. Obeying him and then not just thinking of him, but thinking of each other and loving the way he has called us to love. Here quickly are other ways that Jesus is a friend. Think of the book of Proverbs when you look at this list. Jesus is truth. He loves us, forgives us, and he'll never leave us. He'll glorify us as we glorify him. Remember in Proverbs it said to be loyal and to love and to forgive, to encourage, to build up. Jesus is that friend. Jesus has sent you a friend request. Did you know that? You may not have gotten it on your Facebook app. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door. These are Jesus' words. And knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. What's interesting about this verse is actually Jesus talking to Christians. They're already believers. You see, really, Jesus is inviting all the time. He, he's knocking to unbelievers. And he's saying, I am your Savior. I am your friend. I have a gift of eternal life. Believe in me, and you will live. I died for you. I, I rose again to life. That's what he's knocking and wanting to say to the unbeliever, but he's also knocking to the Christian. He's knocking and saying, I'm your friend. Maybe he's saying to you, I want you to be my friend by obeying me. Maybe he's saying you've walked away from me, you, you've ignored me, you, uh, where, where are you? Maybe he has something he wants you to do, he wants to do something you need to learn. But the reason the pictures of Jesus is knocking is because we're inside the house and we're not listening. Now, when the doorbell's rung in my house, the dog answers immediately. And then doesn't bark. He's running to the door. Now, our house is a little bit unusual. The doorbell at the front and the doorbell at the back are exactly the same. So sometimes he gets faked out and he runs to the front door and the person's at the back door. And so usually he runs to the front, because most of the time when the doorbell's rung, it is at the front. But when that person at the back door rings it, he's going the wrong way. But anyway, he hears it, 
And he responds. That's how we should be as Christians. When we hear the knock, we hear Jesus. We listen to him. But too many times, we ignore it. We're not listening. It's hard to ignore a knock, isn't it? The knock, the knock, the knock. You just say, stop it. I'll go get the door. But if you don't hear it, you can ignore it very easily. And too many times that's what we do. We're not listening for Jesus to call us. We're not listening for his invitation. We're not interested. Even as Christians, we're at a time in our life, I'm just not interested right now, Lord. I'll get back to you later. So I challenge you this morning to listen. God's word never goes out that he's not going to teach you something, tell you something. So this morning, Jesus has been knocking. He's knocking right now. So listen to the knock. Accept the invitation. Open the door. And whatever he says to you, obey it. That's a true friend. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song. We're going to respond. But I want you to have this image in your mind. It's a beautiful one of Jesus knocking. After the first service, Eric Jones reminded me, I think he's true. If we're going to use this image, the door only has one knob on it. It's on the inside. Jesus doesn't force his way in. He's never going to turn it and barge into your life, make you obey, make you be his friend, make you believe. It's always a choice. It's always an invitation. It's always a call. 